We're back for another edition of VC Land. This is a podcast series where we talk to some of the leading VCs, investors, and entrepreneurs across Australia and across the world. Today's guest needs no real introduction. Creel Price is an investor and entrepreneur extraordinaire. He's the co-founder of early stage VC fund Investable. Creel, welcome to the program. Hi, Justin. Well, that's a lot to live up to after that introduction. (laughs) Okay, so tell our listeners, please, about Investable. How does it all work? Yeah, I mean, probably the market does consider us a a venture capital firm, I guess. But really, we see ourselves as as really an early stage investor and ecosystem provider. We've been, um, you know, working in this space for for over, over a decade. Uh, formally and informally, and essentially our job is to help, you know, find the uh, the best founders and fund them and give them uh, the intellectual property in order to help them scale. So you say it's been going. So when did, when did it all begin? You're saying about a decade ago. Well, we started investing in um, my, my business partner Trevor and I. Um, we we sold a business and then we started investing in 2010 um, with a, with a, a group of uh, you know close uh, close compatriots. Um, and then we formalised it in Investable uh, in 2014. And so, what was that? What was that process like? You were sort of doing it on the side, were you? And then you thought, well, actually, we should potentially make a business out of this. Yeah, I think you get to a stage where a lot of people do. We, we, you know, part of our business is we have a have a club of, of of super angels, I guess, similar to what Trevor and I were ten years ago. Um, and when once you get over ten investments on a private basis, it really takes a lot of management. So you've really got to work out if you're going to. You know, in order to get the scale you need, you either have to professionalise it or stop investing. Okay, so it's been going since 2014. How would you say that Investable has changed since you and Trevor first got it going? Yeah, I think um, when, we, when we first started, we probably had a, a greater um, influence with our programs. Like we were probably doing a lot of capacity building, I, I think it's fair to say. is You know, the startup ecosystem at that time, time was, you know, was emerging and, you know, there were some good companies coming through, but... Um, probably not the depth you need. Like we, we typically like to, to look at 100 deals to invest in one and it certainly wasn't the case in 2014. So we were doing a huge number of programs in, in Australia and in Southeast Asia in order to build that deal flow and capacity and, and get the founders you know, really investor ready. Um, that job's largely been done by us and others now. So there's some really great companies. They understand what it takes to get investment and um, we've sort of morphed the business probably more to 80% investment rather than sort of 50% programs, mm. 50% investment. You mentioned that you and Trevor were working in a, a previous business. Can you shed a bit of light on that? I know there's a, there's an interesting story, an interesting backstory in all of that. Sure. Well, I guess we were, you know, people. a big part of the startup ecosystem is they talk about the lean startup. And I think that's exactly what our business blueprint was. We, we started with $5,000 each. And not for one of trying, but we, we, we didn't get any other capital in the business up until the point we sold it um, 10 years later for $109 million. Um, so that, that Unbelievable. Business, sure, yeah. So, it was, I mean, there was essentially a software business around uh, customer relationship marketing and management. We worked a lot in the financial services industry um, on what, what these days we'd call big data. On these days, we'd call robo-advice, but, you know, those terms didn't exist back in those days, um, and we didn't, even this term startup didn't exist, but uh, essentially that's what we, we became, and, you know, we ended up with over a 1,000 employees in that business. Well, I mean, it's not a bad return on your investment, $109 million for, you know, for an original input of 10 grand, 5 grand each. Yeah, we haven't calculated the IRR on that one. <laughs> 
Okay, so so now with Investable, how how big is the team, and where are you guys based? Uh, so we're based in uh, in Sydney, um, and um, we have a small uh, um, regional HQ in uh, in Singapore as well. So at the moment, the team is sixteen, but we're, I know there's there's another three roles we're recruiting for as we speak. So um, yeah, so we're doing quite an expansion at the moment. And so when you're assessing uh, a deal, you've already mentioned you get a lot of deal flow. What um, what are you looking for and what is that process like? Can you can you shed some light on um, from, you know, the, the email, the deck arriving in your inbox to uh, a successful investment? Sure. So, so essentially there's five steps to our process that we think we, you know, we use in order to de-risk angel investment on, on, on the downside and, and we uh, maximise the returns on the upside. So how, how we do that is, first of all, you need to think about the scale. So how do you, it's our belief that, you know, you need to have a portfolio of at least 30 investments in order to be able to, uh, to de-risk it. Um, and, and for those people out there, they've got maybe four or five early stage companies, you know, you, you, you may get it right, but people talk about the one in 10, but just because you've got 10 investments doesn't mean you'll get the one. If you get 30, mm. you'll probably get the three. So our first fund, I think we're, we're just short of uh, 40 investments in that fund. Um, it'll, it'll close shortly. Um, in this next fund that we're about to raise, um, is, it'll be 55 investments. I think we've, we've done 90 investments in total. Um, so that really gives you a bit of an idea on the scale. Mm. And, we're, and we're trying to diversify by sector, by geography, um, and by the, the number of companies. Um, but we usually are the first professional check-in which, which allows us to, to really, you know, look at those 100 investments to invest in the one. The next thing we, we look at is the source. How do we make sure that we're getting, um, you know, if there's a good startup out there, we find out about them. So we've got, you know, numerous ways that we do that from our programs, for our club members, from, um, you know, later stage VCs that, that refer us earlier stage deals. Um, and that, that seems to work well. I think, you know, last year we, we looked at over uh, 2,000 um, companies um so so yeah so a lot of a lot of decks are coming in cold but equally a lot a lot are coming in through referrals um and then we have a, a quite a comprehensive process around what we call screening is is how do we sort of triage the uh the the, the hay from the chafe yep. um um and that's that's quite a data-driven um process and um it's uh it's, it's all about how do we actually you know it's, it's, it's qualitative and quantitative data. You don't want to just look at someone's projections and, and, and make an investment decision on that. It's We've got a, a big part of our 16 elements is, is looking at the founder team. And we've got a number of tools that we use to really look at the psychology of, of the team and their attitudes and motivations and whether they've got the founder chemistry not only to achieve success, but equally not to fall apart um, with, with different motivations in, in the future. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And um, let's let's have a look at some of your uh, investments, some of the companies that you've um, invested in from you know all the all the way back to when Investable started. Have you got um, what's what, what's on your hit list? Well, I mean, the, the, some of the, our, our early investments, we were fortunate to to be the first investors in two unicorns, uh, Canva. Um, you know, Trevor wrote you know one of the first checks in in that company. I think the first Australian. Um, investor, and then um, and then we also wrote a uh, an early check in uh, in a company out of Silicon Valley called Ipsy. So both mm. of those companies have gone on to achieve amazing uh, amazing things, um, which obviously helps returns. It <laughs> does um, help a lot. <laughs> the, uh, you know, we've, we've lost count of how many how many x the uh, the Canva and the Ipsy investments have been 
to date. And those companies just, you know, go from strength to strength. Um, I think there will be some really, you know, interesting news over the next 12 months um, for yes. both of those businesses. Yeah. And then really probably what we're most proud of, to be honest, is, you know, any, any investor can get a little lucky. Um, having, having a big portfolio, you increase your chances of getting luck. But if mm. you take out our, our two unicorns, um, our, our, which, which has given us an IRR of over 55% on the whole portfolio. Yes. But without those two, we're still at a 38% IRR, which I think we're, we're very, very proud good. of, which yes. means that we've just got a very good middle of companies. So some of those you might have heard of, like a, a car next door, or some of our more recent ones like um, uh, Mineta's uh, Seafood is, is, is yes. an incredible, um, you know, well, so tech that's, enabled that's seafood, seafood to your home. Well, that's, that's, that's a part of their business, and that probably mm. isn't what creates the huge value uplift they've had um, since we invested three years ago. But they've got a wholesale business, which is direct from the, fish to the, from the fisherman to the, uh, to the restaurant. Um, okay. which, yep. is, which is pretty amazing. And there's some, there's some pending announcements for that business, which you know, I think is, is, is definitely going to take it towards unicorn territory. Um, what's some other one? Jig Space is, a, is, a, is, is one that some people might have uh, recognised from um, Tim Cook from Apple when he launched the, uh, the Apple, I think it was 12, um, a couple of months ago. He actually used Jig Space to, uh, to launch it, which was, which was pretty incredible for an Aussie technology yeah. company that essentially they, Jig um, Space. Yeah, okay. they, they, they have this... Um, this amazing 3D um, modeling tool that, that you're able to actually, rather than go to, to events to, to see something physical, you can actually do it on, on, online, um, which is great for classrooms and industrial applications and even launching iPhones. So, um, so I think that's a great bit of tech. And maybe another one is, um, is, is quite topical at the moment is we're early investor in AEV. Um, it's an electric vehicle, autonomous vehicle um, manufacturer based yes. here in tell us about Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's well, what what they've they've recognised is that um, you know car manufacturing is very expensive, so they've gone about it from a very robotics background, and they've been able to demonstrably reduce the uh, the, the the vehicle production by essentially creating a skateboard. So the the, the bottom of the car is 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 is, is all yes. replicable. So every everything that goes on top can be customised, but the actual core vehicle. Is it's 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 rinse and repeat from whatever vehicle you need, and it's very good for commercial low speed applications, um, and it's all software controlled. But then we can then license that to uh, you know courier companies, and they can put their various you know um, robotics on top, or it's a mining company, they can put you know whatever they need to to do their applications on top. So it's sort of it's essentially it's a, it's the intel inside of of what autonomous vehicles will be in future. So would you say you're sector agnostic or, or all of your investments have sort of a, a, a backbone in technology? Yeah, they've all got a tech. They need to be tech or at least tech, you know, strongly tech enabled. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are sector agnostic, which, which just means that we, we get that huge breadth of, of potential companies we can consider. Um, and, and, and a big part of our 16 points, you know, algorithm, I guess, that, that when we're looking at a company, a huge percentage of that is based on the founder team. Um, so we're really, you know, regardless of what sector they're in, as long as we believe the founder team's got what it takes and we believe that they've got a, a good market niche that they can be the dominant player in or at least achieve some kind of 10x return for us, um, you know, we will consider it. So let's let's explore that a little bit further. How important then uh, is the founder and the team in um, making sure that the business gets off to a good start? 
Yeah, I mean, we're definitely not alone in, in, in thinking that the founder mm. team is, is, is super important. At the, the yeah. early stage, really, you know, we, we might be investing in a $5 million valuation, but it's not worth $5 million. It's only worth what's floating around in the hearts and minds of the founders, what they can potentially achieve. So that's why we do a huge amount of due diligence and spend a lot of time with the founders and bring these other tools to bear to, to make sure that they've got the right chemistry. We probably do over... Um, you know, invest in, in, in multi-founder teams rather than just the sole founders, but we've okay. certainly had some, some great success with some sole founder teams also. But it does it does de-risk it, I guess, by having more than one founder if you've got the right chemistry. You've mentioned some of the successful companies that you've invested in. Have you ever had an opportunity to invest in a in a company at a particular round, an early stage, and for whatever reason you have passed or couldn't do it and, and they've got, like you're now kicking yourself, they've gone on to big, bigger and better things. The one, yeah, that got I mean, away, the one that got away. Sure. Well, part, part of our data-driven process is to make sure that we're not only working on the, on the data to, to, to prove our thesis that we, that we got it right, but we also want to prove when, when we got it wrong. So, so there is elements um, of that and, we, and companies go on to raise you know the round that we passed on they might raise that round they might raise the next round doesn't necessarily mean they're super successful though so so i think the court's out on some of those theses even though we we might have missed one, one more public one that people might know is uh, safety culture yes. a really great um australian grown yes. um, grown grown business whilst we didn't actually get the deck for safety culture we really should have. That's, so what we kick ourselves on is, <laughs> is our sourcing at that stage wasn't good enough to be able to make sure that we, 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 we at least saw that investor, investment to, uh, to have a go at. So, so that's one that we, we probably kick ourselves around. And then there's a few of our existing portfolio that we kick ourselves that we probably didn't invest enough or maybe we didn't follow on when we should have. Ah, yeah, okay. The, the great thing about being an early stage investor, you get first rights to... to to write the next check and, and you know previously in our model our, 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 we've only had limited capacity to follow on yes um, but yep. this um this new new fund in our club is starting to really participate in some of these later stage rounds so so these days it's not so much of a problem but certainly five years ago it was pretty much a pass from us for the next round which i think um you know maybe limited some of our exposure so you've got you've got fund one and i think you said that's that's just about to close and now um, you've got you've got a second fund, is that right? Yeah, when I say close, fund one will be the first checks will be fully deployed by the end of April, mm. um, which will get us up to, to forty investments. Um, and then you know there's still some some uh, a part of that portfolio will still have some powder to uh, to follow on. Um, yep. But our fund two will will do the first the close for the fund two. Um, you know, hopefully just to to do, to do a, an immediate cutover. Look, I think we've got enough commitments to do that. So we'll, we'll, we'll do the first close in May and then we can just keep deploying those first checks um, as well. And so when, um, when founders uh, and startup businesses um, are, are in the market looking to engage with um, people like yourselves, with other VCs, what's some advice uh, you, can, you can give them to maximise their chances of, of at least a, you know, a phone call back or a warm intro or some success? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, if you can get a warm intro, it definitely makes, you know, it makes it easier to make sure they don't slip through the cracks. We, we, we pride ourselves on making sure we get back to everyone regardless of where they've come from um, and, 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 you know, treat it on its merits. Um, but certainly I think that for, for a lot of the VCs, they just don't have the capacity that we have to, to, to look at as many deals. So I think that's very important if you can get a warm referral. 
The second thing is is is, is making sure that you know you don't get despondent. That if, if they do turn you down, you don't have to go back and say, well, you know, I disagree with, with why you're turning me down, etc. You've got to remember they're looking at a lot of deals. It doesn't mean that you're not a good company. It yeah. just means that they believe that there's another company that's better for them at this stage in their portfolio. Okay. Yeah, okay, that's because, important. Yeah. yeah, you're likely to come back to them in 12 or 18 months' time anyway. So you want to make sure you do keep that relationship very professional and, and that, you know, you ask them specifically what you'd like them to see changed. And go and change that in six months time you can always go and knock on their door and say okay you know we took your feedback on board we've implemented x um and um you know we'd like you to consider us now and that's happened numerous occasions to uh, to companies that we've since invested in so obviously there's a lot of different uh, things elements you can put into a pitch deck um and i don't think there's any you know right or wrong answer but what, what are some of the things that you like to see uh, or, or your non-negotiables that are, are a must in any investor presentation? Well, part of it is just really describing what makes you different and, and in, in simple enough language. You know, you've, what you've got to remember as a sector ag- agnostic investment uh, house, you know, we, we look at so many deals, you've got to really keep it very simple in the first couple of pages to grab our attention. And I think uh-huh. that's really important about, you know, what, what's the big problem you're solving for? Why are you the people to solve it? And why is now the time to, to solve this, this problem? And why is it going to be a great, you know, a, a, a big company over time? So, you know, if you can capture that in very simple language, um, we'll, we'll really increase your chances for, for an investor like us to go even deeper into the, uh, into the deal. And what about um, overseas investments? So when I, uh, companies that are headquartered, um, in say North America or Asia or through the, through Europe, are you are you actively uh, looking at those deals as well? Yeah, well, through our, our club membership, um, we've got some you know amazing super angels that spend half their time in Australia, for instance, and half in Israel or Poland, and and we've invested in you know a couple of Israeli deals, a couple of Polish deals through that sort of connections. We're fairly strong on the west coast of, of the US. But the main focus for us is, is Southeast Asia. We're very bullish on Southeast Asia, which is why we've been capacity building there over the last five years. A little bit like what I talked before about the programs that have eased off in Australia. Hmm. Um, it hasn't eased off in, in Asia. We've, you know, I think year before COVID, we did over 100 programs in, um, in Southeast Asia in places like Bangkok and, and Jakarta and, and, and Singapore. Um, and that, that puts, puts our brand name out there. And we're getting some really good deal flow um, from Southeast Asia, and I think now is is there is is the time to invest. That you know some tension between China and other parts of the world. I think you know it's a, it's a really great time for some of these emerging developing countries to uh, to really um, grow their businesses. What about COVID? I mean that that put the brakes on everything across the the world economy. How did um, how did you see COVID affecting the VC market in Australia? Yeah, I mean, I was quite um, you know bearish to be honest when uh, when when COVID first happened, and we sort of felt that we'd focus on you know our existing portfolio and make sure that they were in in a strong position before we really focused on how do we do more investments. But obviously, the investments did, didn't didn't stop. We still got plenty of deal flow. They were still great companies. Um, you know, we probably didn't do as many travel deals um, post uh, post COVID. <laughs> yes. We did we did do one. You know, honestly, there's. There's still opportunities um, and great opportunities in some of these sectors that you wouldn't think. But equally, you know, there were some really amazing opportunities in e-commerce, which really started to take off as people spent more time at home. Of course. Um, So we we became a little bit opportunistic, but the the, the core model didn't change. We still backed good founders. um, And even our existing portfolio, we we were were chuffed that, you know, we've lost one over COVID out of the 90 
um, but the rest are in, uh, in in a pretty strong, um, pretty good shape position. What's the um, what's the timing from um, you know f- first looking at um, a particular business, doing the DD, going through meeting the founders and and writing a check? Um, you know, it sounds like a long time, but but realistically, what's what's the what's the, the variation in in the length of time that it takes for a potential investment? Well, in the typical VC world, even at our stage, it's often three to six months. Mm. Um, what we recognise, though, is is we, we want our founders, you know, building their business, not raising their funds. So, so we've worked, you know, a lot on this a lot. That we, we can get it down now to six weeks um, through the whole due diligence process. Um, but some of that relies on the founder. So, if we've given them a condition precedent, for instance, to get a new board member that's got industry specific knowledge, or you know, um, some of those elements, that can take a little bit longer. But on our side of things, you know, we've got it down to six weeks, which I, I think is, is is probably you know quicker than most. And you, you mentioned um, obviously you're an early, you know, you come in at the early stage. What um, what's the rough check size that? You deploy at that at that early stage, and obviously that's going that's going to vary. But but give us a give us a flavour of um, of, of this, the type of money that you put in at the early stage. Yeah, so so typically we don't like to take a whole round. Where we we love yep. you know co investing, and particularly in other countries, it's just a it's a mandate. We we, we won't invest unless we know the co investment partner. Um, but even in Australia, we partner with some some great um, great other VCs. Um, so a typical check um, in fund one was between two hundred and fifty thousand to five hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, in the new fund, it'll very similar thesis, but the the average amount will be a little bit more. It'll be sort of two fifty to a million dollar check. So it'll probably average it more at the five hundred thousand um, dollars. And then, but every dollar we write in the um, in the funds, um, we usually write two dollars through our club, um, which which increases our you know the amount we can actually write. For a uh, for a family, yeah, okay. it's not always in that same round. Sometimes I'll come in at the next round. So, what do you say there to uh, to some of the founders that say, "Well, you know, don't don't raise money in Australia. It's too small. We've you know, we to be successful, we really have to go to the US and and raise money over there." Yeah, I mean, I think there's a huge amount of money in Australia for the right deals um, and for good companies. And so, therefore, if you, if you if you can't raise money in Australia, you're probably unlikely to raise it overseas. Okay. Um, if you're a great company, you could probably raise it in Australia and overseas. And if you do yeah. raise it overseas, you may end up getting a better valuation. That's true. But equally, you know, it's it's, it's fraught with with danger going to a new market um, without you know getting some traction in your existing market because mm. you know, that's one thing that the, they'll they'll ask immediately. And why have another? In you know, the reason why we were able to participate in the Canva first round. Because um, they were doing that, they were a Perth-based company, and you know it was natural for them rather than come to the east coast. They they went to the to the valley, but the uh, the, the valley investors wouldn't invest unless there was an Australian investor. So so Trevor uh, became uh, became that, which was great. What's your view, Creel, on uh, companies uh, staying private, uh, the uh, potentially going public? Uh, and again, a lot of debate around this topic, but clearly, you know, with uh, with all of those businesses in your portfolios, I, I imagine some of them um, have have made the transition uh, to public companies. What, what's what's your sense around that? Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't love the public public markets. I think um, unless you've got a, a specific type of business and you're on a, a very straight um, you know, growth curve and very predictable growth curve. I'm not a huge fan. And you've, you've got to be able to justify probably, you know, I believe, probably a billion-dollar valuation these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so that said, 
in this market where we are today, there's a huge amount of interest in um, in tech. Um, there's not enough supply in the in the listed market, so we, we're seeing a lot of companies probably you know what you might call rushing um, a listing, um, and they, that may work for them. But equally, if, if listed markets turn around and they they don't value small caps in in 12 months' time, I think that could that could uh, backfire. Well, you've got your finger on the pulse for sectors that are performing well, and uh, obviously a lot of emerging companies. What um, what are some of the sectors that you see have uh, have a big future, particularly over the next, say, couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I, I will give you an opinion on that. But one thing to remind me and you about the investable model is, is we don't try and be the crystal ball investor either. We say, you know, we, we back great founders. They're the ones that have got the crystal ball can see the future. We need to just agree with with their thesis. And jump, jump on board, yeah. Co- correct. But, you know, so, so we do. There is some... Things that we're we're really quite bullish on at the moment, you know, cyber as an example, um, I think is just you know I think a really great area. Yes. Where more and more Australian companies that are that are that are that are cooking in that direction. Um, we're looking at one in in um, um, in, in in the quantum uh, computing side of things. I think mm-hmm. that's that that area is going to be um, you know it's just such a big growth area over the next 10, 20 years. Um, a, lot, a lot of our our investments tend to be in um, in the industrial or B two B sort of space. Yeah. Um, they they require less ongoing capital, which is why we like them as an early stage investor. Um, so so you know anything that sort of enables this transformation of, of digital transformation of corporations or or uh, manufacturing companies or how does it help companies build a, a globally scalable business. Even though you know you might not have the have the luxury to travel to other markets, I think those they're the type of technologies that we're, we're seeing that are uh, that are getting huge upticks at the moment. And finally, Krell, what what are some of the things? Obviously, you've got a very busy job. You are like the ultimate multitasker. What are some of the things uh, that you do in your downtime that keeps that keep you focused? Because I can imagine going through all these decks and staying on top of all the businesses and focusing on everything like that, that, that is a hard thing to do. So what do you like to do to either, you know, relax or just to make sure that you're on your A game? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it is important for me. I mean, we're, we're very city based, but I, I'm, I'm from the bush myself and I've spent a lot of time in my life camping and hiking. So I still continue to do a lot of that now with my boys, which is a, which is a real pleasure. Um, also, you know, being in Sydney, it's, it, you know, we've, we've got a, a yacht on the harbour, so it's, so it's very nice to be able to get out on the harbour and, you know, it's, you can see the city, but it, you're so removed from that hustle and bustle. Yes. It's some of my best thinking time and, you know, I, I even find myself occasionally doing some work on the boat and, and, and that's really, um, really, really great to, to give you a bit more clarity, I guess. Love it. Well, Creel, it's been an absolute pleasure um, catching up with you today. Some wonderful insights there and we wish you all the very best for Investable and the years ahead. Thank you so much for joining us on VC Land. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Justin.